0: Have you thought about the neuroscience of what's happening during heartbreak? There's the so-called secure attached style. This typically emerges in childhood when there's a very predictable care, um, caregiver carry uh, relationship between child and most often mother, but it can be father too or other caregiver. Just so happens that the classic experiments were done on mothers because this was in the 1970s and there weren't as many reverse role you know homes etc. There were some, but not as many as there are now. So. That's one style of attachment. The parent leaves, the child gets a little distraught, but then can distract itself doing other things or just simply do other things because they have a high degree of intrinsic knowledge. Then there's the so-called insecure attachment styles. And there are a bunch of different ones, but those are the ones where it's really stressful when the parent leaves. It's not clear they're gonna come back. And when they come back, it's not clear that there's they're gonna reestablish the bond, the child will feel uh, supported, etc. Here's what's fascinating. Those same neural circuits, are repurposed for romantic attachment in adult life the same circuits which shouldn't surprise us i mean why would the brain throw away value of the circuitry but this whole freudian notion that you know childhood attachment styles map onto adult attachment styles that's real that's physiological now one important point it's not one for one in the sense that let's say you had a secure attachment to your father let's say it's a young a young girl And as a baby and a young child, she had a secure attachment to her father and an insecure attachment to her mother in adulthood. And let's say she's heterosexual. So in adulthood, she prefers men as romantic partners. This girl grows up and you might say, well, she had a good relationship to her dad. So she's going to have a good secure attachment style in her adult heterosexual relationships. Ah, often it's not the case. They will transplant or superimpose the insecure attachment style to the to the mother onto male relationships, but have great relationships to female friends, for instance. And then you were talking about breakups and we did an episode on grief and the way that grief works in the brain and nervous system is that there are three sort of factors that are mapped in our consciousness and our subconscious. And these are space, time, and this notion of closeness, which is attachment. Space and time is very simple. It's where is the person that I love and when will I see them next? I mean, if you have a relative that lives overseas and you know they're alive, you're not going to grieve them. You might really miss them, but you're not going to grieve them the same way you would if suddenly you get the note, unfortunately, that they passed away. And then attachment is how close you are to them. Like how critically you rely on them for internal control and support. And that doesn't mean they have to be an immediate caregiver. It could just be like a really good friend. You call them mates over in the UK, right? Like a really good friend that just your knowledge of him, just makes you feel good. You feel better in the world. You know, as a guy who mostly grew up with kind of a big pack of male friends, I mean, I feel strongest and happiest and most secure in life when I see something about one of my friends doing well in life. It just makes me feel good. If one of them dies, and unfortunately, yeah, I'm getting to the age where a number of them have died, then you, you feel like all of a sudden, like goodness, like there's a loss internally, right? Okay. That's all sort of obvious, but what's interesting is that the grief process itself is about restructuring this map, this map, think of it like a tripod. It's got three pieces, space, time, and closeness. When someone dies, it's very confusing for the brain because where are they in space? Well, the body is put someplace. Maybe it's cremated. Maybe it's not. We have notions of a spirit and that depends on one's orientation, a soul or a spirit. Okay. Or if you don't, then you don't, then where do they go? Right. And then time, when will you see them again? There's the never, you'll never see them again. And the closeness component remains. And so there's an untethering of this map. If you look in the brain and people that are in grief from loss of a really strong attachment, the state of brain and body that gets flipped on is a motivational state. It's exactly the same circuitry in the brain that one sees active. If someone very hungry is put just outside the wall of some delicious food, or if an animal that really wants to mate. I guess mate, with animals you call copulate. They really want to copulate with another animal. Is put just beyond the wall of that animal, but they can smell them. I mean, these are highly motivated, desiring states. So grief is a motivated state to to bridge the distance in time and space, and yet it's impossible. And so the process of grief is a gradual waning of that motivation, and a gradual shift of the memory of the person into some. Th- concept, whether or not it's a soul, whether or not it's just the past, whether or not it's their energy, you know, again, it depends on what the forebrain of that particular person believes, shifts that concept of that person into a place where the brain is comfortable. There's no more autonomic arousal. There's no motivation. When there's a breakup, it's exceedingly hard, especially if the person is young. You know, if you look at suicides after breakups, those are far more common in younger people than they are in older people. Why? Because the relationship represents the whole future. They have no concept that they're, they know there are n- other people, but it sort of feels like the whole world is is shutting down. Breakups, what's happened is the person is no longer available in time and space. The brain has to think that the person is gone in time and space. This has become much harder with social media, right? Because people can check up on people, they can hear from people in the old days, like when I was growing up, you just like took the phone off the hook or you you diverted your attention. Now we are constantly renewing that the person is still there. And so love and the loss of love and the death grief are virtually identical.